Okay, y'all, I know it's summer, I know it's hot out, but I'm going to need you to show up for this one. Good morning, y'all. Hey, it's almost like you're a large crowd of people who like each other. It's really lovely to see you all here um, and to be with you this morning as we are continuing on in our series, Sunday School Horror Stories. We've been talking about a lot of stories, um, many of them from the earliest history of our storytelling as a people of faith. And um, some of them are more horrific than others. This one, I think, might top the list for me. It's a story we love to tell children, again, because there are children in it, even though those children are about to be murdered by parents who supposedly love them. And we tell this story to kids, saying, ooh, what faithful people in this story. This story is genuinely terrifying, and I think that we should stop telling it to children, or start telling it to children in a very, very different way. And so, if you do have kids here, um, know that we're going to try and complicate this story, uh, and try and tell it better, and also that it might be very scary, because it is a discussion about harm to children. So, there are good reasons. I want to promise you at the outset, there are good reasons that this story is in our Bible, and there are beautiful things that we can learn about our faith and how to be good, uh, good, faithful, and ethical and loving people in this story. But we have to do our work in order to get there, and historically we have not done that work in this culture to understand this story from another culture. So I just want to tell you this story first. Abraham was an old man. In his hundred years on earth, he had also proven himself to be a very complicated man. A man who sometimes did right and sometimes did very, very wrong. But he was a faithful man. And that was a huge part of his identity and his character. That's how he's talked about as a man of deep faith and conviction. And God had made Abraham some huge promises. One night, God had called Abraham out under the night sky and said, look up at the stars, count them. So too will be your children, your ancestors. Getting this family, this big family tree, was also complicated. And a lot of horrible things happened. And Abraham did some horrible things in the midst of it. Too complicated to go into detail here. So we're going to follow one thread of that complicated story, and that is Isaac. In the process of having, uh, moving towards this big family, Abraham and his wife Sarah had a son. Scripture tells us in this passage that Isaac is their only son, a complicated truth. They named him Isaac, which means son of laughter. And Isaac brought them so much joy. In their old age, they had hope. They had a son, they had a family, and that family was going to rest on Isaac. They loved him. So, as they loved their son, this boy, as Abraham was being faithful, doing the things that he had always done, all of a sudden, he heard an instruction from God. God asked him to do something horrific. God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. 
As I said, Abraham was a faithful man. And this didn't make sense. God had promised him children and ancestors, as many as there were stars in the sky. He had one son, Isaac, and God was asking him to give Isaac up. The one he loved, still a child, a boy. And God was demanding that he be killed and offered to God as sacrifice. And not just offered, burnt into ash, into nothingness. But Abraham was a faithful man. So he rode that morning, gathered two young men, a donkey supply, and Isaac. They journeyed three days. Three long days, Abraham with his son Isaac, every step closer to the mountain that meant a step closer to Isaac's murder at his father's hand. After three days, Abraham told the young men to stay with the donkey. He was going alone with Isaac. I find it notable here that he says to the men, we'll be back. He cut the wood for the fire. He gathered the coals for the fire and the knife. He strapped the wood to Isaac's back. Isaac, the boy about to die, hauling the fire he was to be burned on with his own body at the side of the mountain, unaware that his father intended to kill him and burn his body. Isaac was familiar with sacrifice. It was a common and important practice. He knew that in the case of burnt offering, the animal was to be slaughtered in a special way with that knife, then drained of its blood, and then prepared to be burned completely into ash. But he was confused. He asked his father, Father, Abraham said, Here I am, son. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham was evasive. Maybe it was because he didn't want Isaac to be scared. Maybe he was hoping God would intervene. Perhaps he just couldn't bear to admit out loud what he was about to do to his son. God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son, he said. And scripture says, they walked on. They got to the spot. Abraham built an altar and laid the wood just so, as he had been instructed, as he knew from generations. And then Abraham found Isaac. There's no pretending now, no pretending anymore. We don't have any details here. We don't know what went down. But at this point, the betrayal is clear. Abraham has to bind Isaac with a rope and put him on the wood to be burned. Abraham took the knife. And scripture gives us every little detail here. Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. And then a voice came. An angel of the Lord called Abraham. Abraham heard the voice and stopped. Here I am. Stop. Don't hurt this boy. I get it. You're faithful. You don't have to do this. Abraham looked up, saw a ram caught in a thicket. And so he went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. At the end of this whole ordeal, Isaac, surely confused and afraid, Abraham flooded with emotion. Abraham named the mountain. The Lord will provide, because the Lord 
in Abraham's estimation, had provided the ram. The story ends with the angel of God praising Abraham's faithfulness. And up until here, up until here I've made basically no embellishments. This is how the story plays out in the scripture. This is the story we are given, and this is the story we tell the children. And worse, here's how we interpret it. Abraham is a hero of the faith. He is so faithful to God. He was willing to murder his own son. At, la at the last minute, God didn't make him do it, which was really great of God. But the point is that he had strong enough faith that he was willing to do it. And we should all be willing to murder our family members if we think that that's what God wants. Happy Sunday school. So adults tend not to spell out that last bit, which is smart. But it is functionally what we're telling children and what we're telling one another and ourselves when we interpret the story that way. That blind obedience to the point of violence is good. That faithfulness to God means willingness to murder the people we love against all reason, against all compassion, against the bonds of our relationship, against the promise that God has given us that we are actually here for one another. That God has given us relationship because it is holy. We are told we should be ready to violate that at the drop of a hat if that's what we think God is commanding us. I think that's a problem. I think unwavering faith that commits violence is a problem. But this is the standard interpretation, and this is the interpretation of the scripture. I don't want to, I don't want to um, deny that. That when the angel is praising Abraham for his faithfulness, it's exactly what he's saying. This is what the Bible tells us this story is about. But like all biblical stories, and especially all of the stories in Genesis, our earliest stories, the stories that were told over and over again before they were written down, we need to do a little digging to understand what this story really means and why it matters to us and how we tell it. So let me back up and tell you a little bit about sacrifice. The sacrificial system is something that we're not as familiar with now, but it is fundamental to the Hebrew people and to God's people for a very, very long time. Now, it wasn't um, just isolated to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people. This was widespread, and we've talked in some of these other um, retellings of our stories about how historical context matters and cultural context matters. Mesopotamia was a place of sacrifice. It was a place where the relationship to God was understood as one that required tribute and saying, hey, I get it. You're the one in charge. I'll give you what I got. And so sacrifice was very common, and it was the way that people interacted with their gods to appease them, to make sure they weren't angry. But in our scriptures, there's a different tone about the way that sacrifice is offered. It's offered as reconciliation. It's not offered as, hey, I know you're so angry and you hate us, and we're probably a big bother, so we brought you this bottle of wine so that you wouldn't be mad at us anymore. It's, hey, we are your people, and you are our God. And we know that we mess that up a lot. So we want to offer the best of what we have to reconcile ourselves to you. And in fact, most offerings in, uh, in biblical context, in our tradition, were actually meant to be eaten. 
A Jewish friend of mine once described it as a holy barbecue. This gathering, this community gathering, where the best of what the community had was offered up and dispersed, shared among the people, given first and foremost to God and to the temple and to the people who were charged with caring for the temple, but shared among God's people. It was community. It was the ritual of community and belonging. In fact, our English word that we use most often in relationship to the sacrificial system is atonement. Does anybody know that word, atonement? And we usually hear it again in these like really condemning uh, contexts. You must atone for your sins. Does that sound more familiar? Yeah. But atonement, atonement is one of those really beautiful, weird English words that has its own etymology, not stemming from, uh, directly from like another language. Atonement is spelled A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. And it literally means at one minute. At one minute. And this is like old English for like one minute would be like, like oneness, one, one minute. You get it, right? Unity, oneness, togetherness. So atonement is at one moment. Atonement is the bringing back of parts that have been severed. It is the coming together of pieces that have been pulled apart. Atonement is about reconciliation, about unity, about healing and wholeness. So you can understand why, when pieces have been far flung, when violence has rendered pieces of itself from itself, the one community needs to gather back. And in the way of the Hebrew people at sacrifice, and the way of Jesus and his disciples, they gather back at the table. They call it the altar. And they praise God, and they offer their best, and they say, we will be at one again. At one minute. And there are so many beautiful expressions of this across God's people throughout time and history and culture. When I was in Guatemala, I had the honor of encountering some Mayan sacrifice rituals. They were very similar, and people would offer the best of what they had. And at that time, they meant that people would offer flower sacrifices. Their sacrifices were these big, beautiful bushels of flowers that they would leave on the steps of the altar. They would offer up maize and alcohol. They had all the ingredients for like a big party. This is what sacrifice is. The violence that we associate with sacrifice, that's ours. The intention of sacrifice is at one minute, offering the best of yourself to the wholeness of God's people and God's self. And there's one exception to that big community potluck barbecue vibe in the sacrificial system. And that's the burnt offering. The burnt offering was rare. No meat was eaten in a burnt offering. It was for something truly special and set apart. And the burnt offering is something where they, they took an animal, slaughtered it, put it into pieces on the, on the wood and watched it burn all the way to ash. And there's a different character to that kind of sacrifice because that is a missionary. There's something else happening there. These are the types of sacrifices that are recorded in the Bible. But at the time that this story was written and told, not written, told, at the time this story was told before it was written, 
At the time, this story was crafted, let's say. There was another standard type of sacrifice. There was human sacrifice. It was common. One of the ways that you sacrificed, now again, this is coming from that broader Mesopotamian response that says, the gods are angry, we have to um, give up, sacrifice things that we care about so that we can appease them. One of the ways to do that was to kill children, to offer up children as ritual sacrifice. It was common. And so, the standard line at that time was that if you were faithful, you killed kids, period. Faithfulness meant offering up whatever the gods demanded. And the gods demanded humans sometimes. Children. In the ancient world, this story that we tell as a horror story would have been perceived so differently. For us, it's a horror story from the beginning. The child sacrifice premise kind of throws us off, am I right? But in the ancient world, that part would have been standard. Like, bummer, Abraham. And also, like, yeah, no, of course. It makes sense that God would demand that. Abraham's a faithful guy, so he did what faithful religious people did. And in a way, it actually wasn't extraordinary faith for him to be willing to sacrifice Isaac. It was ordinary. That was a part of ordinary faith. The extraordinary part of the story comes later. There are a couple parallels in the telling of this story. Scripture, even though I know it's a really, really long book, they pack a ton of stories in there, and so each individual story has, has quite a, a, an efficient economy of words. So every word in every story in the Bible is chosen on purpose. So when you start to see patterns, there's something beautiful and powerful hidden in it. The parallel I love most in this story is here I am, so first, when Abraham is hearing God call out, Abraham, here I am, he gets the instruction to sacrifice Isaac. But then, on, on the journey, on the way up the mountain, Abraham hears the call of his son. Father, here I am, son. And then finally, at the altar, at the fire, with his son bound and about to die at his own hand, Abraham hears another voice calling out, Abraham. And he stops and says, here I am. What if the extraordinary faithfulness of this story isn't Abraham's willingness to commit murder, as was cultural practice in his time? What if the extraordinary faithfulness of Abraham in this in this story, is hearing the voice of God that says, stop. What if the extraordinary faithfulness of Abraham is hearing the voice of God that says, stop, in the voice of his son that says, Father, where is the lamb? What if Abraham was faithful to God by being faithful to the victim of this violence and ceasing that violence? Abraham interprets the ram he finds as a gift from God. But scripture doesn't say that God provided that ram. Only that God told him to stop. Abraham is so in this sacrificial system. He's in a place where he thinks that God is demanding blood from him. And he is so convinced that he has set out 
on this mountain with everything he has, with his beloved son, who he is willing to give up because he thinks that that is what God wants. And what if the miracle of this story is that for the first time, in the voice of his own son, Abraham hears God's voice saying, this is not what I want. Your violence is not what I long for. And so Abraham stays his hand. Now Abraham's pretty bought into this sacrificial system, and so when he sees a ram in the thicket, he assumes God has provided this ram, and he offers it up and burns it to ash. But what if God has never wanted violence as our sacrifice? This story was placed in the Bible to explain that God does not want us to kill children in human sacrifice. That's the reason it's there. From a historical critical interpretation, there is consensus uh, among a set of scholars that this story is an interpretation of a change in practice that says, no, it is not unfaithful to not kill children. Because if this story had been told in Abraham's day, one of the ways that a standard hearer would interpret it is to say that Abraham is disobedient to God for being unwilling to kill his son Isaac. So the story is crafted in such a way that you say, no, Abraham is willing, Abraham is faithful, but it is not God's will that we kill children in human sacrifice. And it is our obedience to God that allows us to see that. It is our willingness to hear God's word of correction. It is our ability to lay down our arms at the voice and cry of the people victimized by our practice that is faithful. What if Abraham thinks he knows what God wants, but then he contends with the violence of his so-called obedience? And upon hearing the voice of his son questioning it, upon entering into it, binding his son and putting his son on the altar for sacrifice, he finally opens himself up to hear a new voice from God telling him, stop. And his obedience is to this new revelation. Abraham is being faithful but not in the way that we talk about. Abraham's miraculous faithfulness isn't going against what he was told God wanted when he sees the consequences of that and opening himself to a new revelation from God. You see, obedience and faithfulness that is pitted against righteousness and basic ethics is a problem. And I say that, and I wanna, I wanna make it really, really, really simple. If we say that we must do what God commands, but what God commands harms people, and we have to pit those against each other, that is a problem. And I feel silly saying that, right? If God asks you to commit violence, that's a problem. If our faithfulness requires evil behavior, that's a problem. And it feels like such a silly thing to say, because of course a good God would not ask us to do violent things. But how many of us in our culture have felt the pressure of a religious interpretation that says we should do something that we know harms people? How many of us have been harmed by religious people saying, I am only doing this because it is the will of God? 
When the will of God and the well-being of creation are at odds, then what is the problem is not whether we are obedient. The problem is we obviously don't understand the will of God. Because atonement is not just about at one with God. Atonement is about at one at one with all of creation. We have to be highly critical of any religious demands that, ethic, that violate ethics or demand violence. This is the abuse of power we see constantly in the name of God. How many parents have justified violence against their queer kids, saying, I'm being faithful. I'm just being obedient to my God. How many adults all over this country are justifying harm to children at the border in the name of the authority of the U.S. government? We're just following the law. They're the ones that broke the law. And Christians, so-called, quoting Romans to justify it. Anytime we are asked to submit ourselves to authority for the sake of authority in a way that violates the righteousness of our relationship, the well-being of our community, we have to stop. Because I believe this story proves to us that there is always an angel of the Lord in the wings calling out our name, saying, stop. This is not what the Lord requires. I see your faithfulness. I have a better way. Because God always has a better way. Our God is a God of atonement, at one and that does require sacrifice. But holy sacrifice is not the offering up of violence against the vulnerable. Holy sacrifice is not, is never, the offering up of violence against the vulnerable. At one minute, atonement is about throwing it together, offering the best of ourselves for the sake of one another. And faithfulness is hearing the voice of God in the cries of the vulnerable saying, your faithfulness is hurting me. Stop. Because that is the voice of the Lord calling out for an end to violence in her name. So this story that we have told over and over again is a story of incredible faithfulness but not of willingness to harm, but an unwillingness that stirs the heart to listen, to disobey the customs of culture, to hear the new revelation of God saying, this is not my will. We need a new way, and I have offered you a better one. Will you join me in prayer? God of atonement, God who is with us, God who offers us a better way. May your mercy become clear to us. May the violence of our own hearts give way to the justice of your kingdom, your glory, your way of ordering the world. May we open ourselves to hear your word when you say stop. May we feel the power of your love when we as victims cry out. May we see at one moment in our community 
as things are made right, not by violence, but by the offering up of the best we have for the sake of one another in your name. Amen.